Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom. Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm good. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am very, very ready. All right, let's give it a whirl. Okay, and I just want to say thank you to all the listeners from all over the world. Thank you so much for being a part of our podcast. We really love having you. Yes, it's uh, truly phenomenal to see uh, how the podcast is growing. Thank you so much to everyone who is listening. And uh, for those of you who this is your first episode, uh, welcome. Uh, The way that the podcast works is that uh, in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data uh, of a random historical figure to my mom. Uh, so uh, you, the listening audience, already know who this historical figure is. It is in the title of today's episode. I, of course, know who this person is because I selected this mystery history guest, but mom has no idea who it could be. I will give her the birth date time, and location of this historical figure, and she will input that information into the bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all the planets, stars, and moons were at the moment this person was born. She will then give us a blind reading, doing the best that she can to tell us the personality traits, character motivations, and fortunes of this mystery history guest. I will then reveal who the guest is and give a little background about the person, and we will discuss whether or not the chart is accurate in predicting what that person did. So, without further ado, let us begin. Okay. Uh, This is going to be a male. All right. Born on the 14th. Uh Uh-huh. Of January. All right. 1741. Oh, my. Do we have a tie on this? 
Uh, I was not able to find a time, so I think we'll have to go with uh, 12 o'clock noon. Okay. All right. And what country? Uh, so uh, presently it would be the United States. Okay. And do we know a town? Uh, Norwich, Connecticut. Okay. All right. So this is a male born January 14th, 1741 in Norwich, Connecticut, which was a colony, one of the British North American colonies at the time, but has since become part of the United States, and this person actually had a pretty big role in that happening. Wow. Okay. Very interesting. All right. <laughs> Always dynamic. Okay. Um, all right. Let's start with, as I like to do, North Node. Uh, this person has North Node in Cancer at four degrees in the third house. Interesting. Also conjunct. Mm, wait a minute. Why? That is very interesting. Okay, no, uh, having a problem with my brain. <laughs> I was like, why is Mercury in Capricorn in the third house? I needed to be looking at Jupiter. So I was looking at the Jupiter, and for whatever reason, my brain jumped over to Mercury, which is uh, not right. And so I was looking at this because it's North Node conjunct uh, Jupiter by degree. I mean, North Node is four degrees Cancer and Jupiter is three degrees Cancer. So that Jupiter is going to, oh my goodness. And then we have Neptune at five degrees Cancer. So if you can see this, you, you see this right here, Chandler, you have three, four, and five. Yes. yes. That is very conjunct. I mean, you can't get uh -huh. much more uh, conjunct than that by degree. So this is a very, very, very interesting person to have these three specific, you know, North Node and these two planets in the third house of communications. Because third house is ruled by Gemini, which is ruled by Mercury, which is communications and it's air communications. Um, uh, speaking, I would think that this person would be an incredible speaker. Uh, even though really? Mercury is not there, mm -hmm. even though Mercury okay. is not there. Well, I mean, it's third house, so they could be a great writer. Uh, mm -hmm. It is definitely a creative person, cre creative with communications. So maybe not a good speaker, but I don't know. They're very, they should have been very, very good at communications. Um huh. And with it in Cancer, um, because Cancer is the planet of nurturing and it's ruled by the moon, uh, could be even uh, 
capable of getting, you know, like visions or, or, uh, you know, just very nurturing, but also very lunar. So, um, something, I don't know, I'm feeling like having to do with night and when the moon is out and things like that. So, um, uh, this person also has Mars, <laughs> Mars at 22 degrees cancer. So this person could have been very intense in their communications because they have Mars, which is their direction, which clearly they, uh, it's all about communications. It could be, um, something about the nurturing or, or, or ability of communications. Okay. Uh, let me move then back to second house where they have Chiron and Chiron, as we know, is the wounded healer and their Chiron is 21 degrees Gemini in the second house. So again, I don't know, there could have been issues with there's something about communications. This is very, very connected to communicating, writing, mm -hmm. um, letters, documents, uh, and, some and there's kind lessons of to be learned with that. Yes, definitely. Early in life, there would have been lessons to be learned with these communications, and um, also possibly property somehow communicating about items material things uh because they would have started out with having some sort of issues about this um this person also has taurus rising now a taurus rising person is not normally a tiny person people with taurus rising are usually big uh, I don't know if this person was big or if they just acted big. I mean, if it is a tiny person, then they probably would have acted big, but, um, mm. they don't have anything in their first house, but they do have Taurus on the first house, which is their ascendant, which makes people feel that they have a definite presence, even could be considered stubborn, um, mm -hmm. possibly, um, their fourth house has Saturn in Leo. Oh my, this person, <laughs> I don't know. This person either could have been a person that could talk their way out of anything or would just talk until you gave in. Like you just, mm -mm, I don't want to tangle with this person anymore, but the fourth hmm. house in, uh, with Saturn and Leo in the fourth house, this person has lessons with authority authority mm. in there uh-huh lessons with authority it would be lessons with what's really funny is considering when it is and i don't know who this is but uh it would because it's saturn in leo which would be lessons with the king <laughs> mm -hmm. i don't know if that has anything to do with it but saturn in leo is something that anyone in this time you know would have had because saturn takes a long time to go out of a of a, uh, a particular planet. Right. So, uh, it would be, so a lot of people born this during this time would have mm -hmm. had trouble. Would have had authority. Saturn. 
Yeah, Saturn, Saturn and Leo. Yeah, because Leo would be authority, right? And then the fourth house, which is house, your home, your country, your, you know, your your location, whatever. So um, then we move up. We don't have anything in the fifth house or the sixth house, but then we have Pluto in the seventh house, and Pluto in the seventh house in Scorpio. So Pluto in Scorpio. You know, because that's its home base, right? Uh, Pluto rules Scorpio. And this person has Pluto in Scorpio in the seventh house. So this is another person that would have had power with partners, Um, any kind of partners. Um, It could be friendships, family members, um, uh, romantic partnerships. But this person would tend to have either powerful partners or as Pluto goes many different partners because it's death and rebirth, right? So that's Mm. a possibility. I don't know, but then we get to eighth house, which has moon conjunct Mercury, right? No moon conjunct Venus. Oh my goodness gracious. This person, uh, moon (laughs) inside. Oh my uh, moon and Sag conjunct Venus in Sag at exactly 18 degrees. Women in this person's life would be very influential. Mm-hmm. Very influential in this person's life. Um, eighth house, it is possible that there was inheritance or legacy or the loss of women is possible it's all about that eight uh, d- define and, you know, what you mean uh, define what you mean about uh, inheritance and legacy okay like well, a, lo- legacy, a loss of it mm, no gain it could be gain okay. they could have had an inheritance they could have had from from powerful women all right and 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 also this person really likes independent women right because if this is in sag and they have moon conjunct venus in sag which is very independent okay uh this person somehow i believe would have had an appreciation for women that were very um uh progressive or uh you know like like if this was this was a person who was married to lady godiva you know or something like that where this woman would do something really independent and out of the ordinary but they'd be all about it that's Mm, okay what i i think okay and then they have mercury at zero degrees capricorn all right but that zero degrees Capricorn goes five degrees into Sag and five degrees into Capricorn, right? So having that Mercury there in the eighth house, again, that's very, that's a very powerful place to have Mercury. And it has to do with all the things that are Scorpio and ruled by Pluto, which is power and death and rebirth and legacy, legacy. I keep thinking legacy, like, like forever known, like, somehow mm-hmm. for, you know this is a legacy 
and then going into the ninth house, which is Uranus. And ninth house is ruled by Sagittarius, which is ruled by um, Jupiter, which is expansion, philosophy, religion, travel, all of these things. And this person has Uranus there, which in this case, I just feel like because they have, it's Uranus, it's in Capricorn. Um, I just, I mean, I'm just assuming that this is probably a founding father or something. I don't know. But because of that Uranus and Capricorn, Capricorn is like politics and law. Well, not law, really more politics. And, uh, um, and so what about politics? So this would be upheaval, right? Uranus is ruled by Aquarius, which is, uh, uh, things happening unexpectedly. Um, if you think of it as weather, it's like earthquakes or lightning or things that you, you are, you know, you're not aware that they're going to happen, but they happen. But also it's very Aquarian, which is also humanitarian. And also, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Like, um, An other, a new way, a new way, like an Aquarian way would be the new way, right? But it's in Capricorn. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like new politics, new, a new way, right? Because it's Uranus and it's unexpected. Uh, it's, it's unexpected, but it's also a new way of being humanitarian, if that makes any sense. Am I making any sense at all? Yes. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, then we have 10th house and their son is in the 10th house and their son is in Capricorn at 24 degrees in the 10th house. So having their son in the 10th house, first of all, anyone who has son in their 10th house tends to have a very, is, can be very career based. Okay. As opposed to work, which is sixth house. Okay. This is about career. This is on your midhaven. And this person has Aquarius on their midhaven. Technically, their midhaven is uh, bah, 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 22 degrees Capricorn. But then that house, uh, that 10th house goes into Aquarius. But so this person, I believe, would have been very career. I want to, I don't know. I mean, I don't know who it is, but maybe career politics oriented. Like, this is just what their nature would have been. Am I close? So, um, his son in Capricorn is mm-hmm. what's attracting him to uh, uh, establishment? Mm-hmm. I think that having a son in Capricorn would make you very businesslike. It would make you very uh, control. You know, you would either want to have control or you would have a, an ability to be in control. Now, the other side of that is having this moon and Mercury in Sagittarius, which would give you, you know, this fire uh, in your emotions. So this person wouldn't have been as controlled as a Capricorn that would have other planets in more Earth signs, like if they had Virgo or, or, or even Taurus. It would, it would This has more fire to it. So this person could be a successful business person, right? Who mm-hmm. has future kind of like futuristic ideas about philosophy and has the fire in the belly 
to go after that in the most business-like manner possible, but also a very have very powerful partners and be ex- very creative and lucky with how they manifest these things. Does this make sense? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of this that makes sense. Okay. So do you have any questions? Yes. Um, so uh, what what profession would you think that this person uh, would be going into? Hmm. Well, their Mars is in the third house in Cancer. So, I mean, if you... The sun is in the 10th house in Capricorn, so I would think a businessman. Some sort of businessman. Uh, How would this person uh, deal with uh, money? Mm, I think... This person has Jupiter in the third house in Cancer. So... Oh, Jupiter and Cancer. They could they could be very um, creative with their money, uh, but they also see that that Chiron and Gemini in the second house. And the second house would be where you would look for money. And um, they could have had hard times, uh, probably at the beginning of their life where money mm-hmm. is concerned and they you know so but they have venus they have venus venus is also like your money and they have venus and sag so <laughs> people who have sagittarius planets can be very uh benevolent with their money um it's in the eighth house they might have had a lot of money to mm-hmm party with (laughs) i don't know okay how uh, does this person think of themselves i would not think that this person was insecure uh they do have Several planets in Cancer, which could make them withdrawn. But the planets that they have in Cancer aren't necessarily planets that you would think they would be withdrawn. I don't know. Mars and Cancer, they it could be. I mean, but it seems like they, in the third house, the first house is Taurus. So uh, outwardly, I don't think they would appear that they were... Mm, interest to you know extremely introspective they would probably enter a room like john wayne hmm and what what do you mean by that well when i think of taurus i mean you have taurus rising channel so with that said you are not a tiny man when you walk into a space you claim it People know you're there. I think that as okay. far as that aspect, the, the Taurus rising aspect, people would know this person had walked into the space. Um, okay. And then, you know what I mean? Like, then having uh, Sun in Capricorn, uh, I think that this person would have been respected. 
Uh, mm. I would hope. I would hope that this person would have been respected, but they also have that fiery wild side, that moon and Mercury, and 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 they could have been very adamant about their opinions. Okay. Um, but it, I mean, there's this the third house with North Node, Jupiter, Neptune, and Mars. This person, even if they weren't outwardly, you know boisterous about this they were seriously on track for i mean they should have been on track for what they wanted to do there with mars there mars is your direction and it, it all of this is in nurturing cancer so i mean but at the same time the other side of that is the the, the crotchety crabby cancer <laughs> so um I would think that they have quite a lot behind their goals. I mean, with their Mars, Neptune, North Node, and Jupiter all conjunct in Cancer in the third house, I would think they would be very creative in attaining their goals. Uh, but along with that, there's a defensiveness, right? That comes with Cancer? There could definitely be, yes, because they could be very defensive. Like, you know how a crab will back up and click its claws at you? But it could come right. at you. <laughs> it could come at you right. with those claws. Yeah. Um, what role would honor play in this person's life? Well. If, if someone insulted this person, what do you think would happen? Uh, well, uh, this person has moon conjunct venus in sagittarius in the eighth house so um if it if it affects their emotions which we would say moon uh they could fight them okay so it's not something to be shrugged off i don't think this person would sh i i would not want to get into a debate with this person because this person is very capable of debate. That's very interesting. Uh, I don't think uh, most people... Uh, I think that this is a, a valuable insight into this person. Because uh, uh, the, the written word and the spoken word are not necessarily what are associated uh, with this person. Uh, so this is very interesting. Um, well, I mean, it could yeah. be legal. It could be a lawyer if you go. That uh, yeah, direction. that's not that's not either what 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 he's really associated with. Ah, okay. I have no idea who this is. I don't have any idea, but uh, I'm just. They could be very creative, but not yeah. so much. I mean, there's nothing in their fifth house, but that third house. Um, I mean, they, they could be a very creative communicator. Neptune is imagination and, you know, psychic abilities and, um, abilities to create and then having Jupiter conjunct that this could be a very creative driven person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, does, does credit matter to this person 
is he capable of uh you know just seeing that a goal can be achieved and achieving that goal and whoever gets the credit for it it doesn't matter or is it very important to him that he receives his due credit well this is a person with sun and capricorn in the 10th house and I believe Capricorns like to get credit for what they do. So I don't know that this person, I mean, if it's a creative thing, maybe that cancer would allow it. But the Uranus and Sun and Mercury and Capricorn with the Moon and Venus and Sag and... Uh, I don't and Saturn in 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 Leo in the fourth house. I, I don't know that this person would be okay with just taking a back seat. Mm-hmm. Uh what sort of a romantic partner would this person be attracted to? A powerful one. This person would want to be with a powerful, independent woman if they're heterosexual. And um, having Pluto in the seventh house in Scorpio, I can only imagine that she would be very um, alluring. And But then also he's got that moon and Venus and Sag, so he might like uh, an alluring woodsy woman. <laughs> Someone hmm. who, who is um, very independent and very independent. That's what he. Sh that's what okay. this person should enjoy. Someone like um, someone who could easily take care of themselves if they had to, and everybody okay. else. Okay. Um, is there anything, any information you can get uh, about uh, what his parents might be like? Okay, I do need to interject here that we do not have a time of birth for this person. And mm -hmm. we are literally just going on the guess that this person, we just put in that they were born at noon. Okay. Right. So technically, all of these houses could be off. Every one of them. Okay. And we could have all of this information in all the wrong houses. Okay. So you asked about the parents. Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? Okay, yes. so the, when you when you look to the parents, the son is the father, and I would say that, and that isn't going to change, right? It doesn't matter what house it's in, that's not going to change. So the father would have been very um, Capricorn-like, probably um, not necessarily very. Uh, um, he would have been very fatherly because Saturn rules. Mm. Capricorn. So you would hope that that person would have been very fatherly. And then the mother would have been more independent because this person has moon and Sag. So the mother would have been a more independent, um, free thinker kind of person should be. Um, and that has nothing to do with the time of birth, but I have a feeling whenever we do these charts where we don't have the exact time and we put yeah. noon in, I feel like that things get thrown off. 
So we need to go back to what do these specific things mean? What does sun and Capricorn mean? What does moon and Sagittarius mean? What does Mercury and Capricorn mean? You know what I mean? We need to get mm -hmm. a little bit more into those areas when we're doing these charts that we don't have a time for, because it's really hard to place planets and houses that aren't, aren't making any sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or it might be making sense, but I, I don't, I don't know. Whenever we just randomly put noon in there, somehow things go awry. So this person has sun in, Capric in Capricorn, pardon me, uh, Mercury at zero degrees Capricorn, which puts it right exactly on the cusp. And uh, Uranus in Capricorn. So sun, Mercury, and Uranus all in Capricorn. Um, that's, uh, gives you, um, kind of an unexpected, um, controlled, um, way of dealing with certain things. Then you have, uh, Mars, Jupiter, North node and Mars, uh, Neptune, I'm sorry, Neptune and Cancer, all in the third house. Well, we don't know if they're in the third house, but it conjunct in general. That's going to be very emotional. Cancers have a lot of emotion. They're a water sign, mm -hmm. right? So they mm -hmm. can be very emotional, and that can turn to anger. It, 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 it whatever it's going to be. Like it's possible that this person with all this Cancer. Uh, and Jupiter in Cancer, which is like, ooh, it's like, a, you know, just blowing up a balloon, right? Because it's Jupiter, um, could have been em emotional in a way that isn't, I don't know how to describe it. it. It's clearly not fire because it's water, but they had the ability. I mean, a, a water can be a hurricane. A water can be a, a tsunami. Exactly. It can be destructive. That's what I'm saying. Yes, water can be very destructive. So yes, that's, you just said what I was trying to put into words. So yes, absolutely. And then Pluto in Scorpio is death and rebirth. It can also be, you know, the ability to uh, interact with, um, you know, having certain abilities, not, not the same as, you know, having, you know, like Pluto and Neptune or whatever doesn't necessarily make you real super psychic or anything but it definitely gives you the double whammy on the power and the death and rebirth and all things that pluto rules and mm -hmm. then having saturn and leo this person would have had to learn or deal with authority figures deal with things that you know leaders and possibly children and entertainment children in the house children in the home uh fourth house so also with house home country neighborhood you know this kind of thing fourth house mm -hmm. is that helping because i feel like we're off on this one because i don't think we have the right time yeah uh, i i i mean there's a lot of things that are are very true to this person uh and i'll let you know and you know everyone who's listening who knows anything about this person um, knows that there's one character trait that this person is defined by. 
And I think a lot of that character trait is a nature versus nurture sort of thing that he was uh, sort of pushed into. And we'll figure more about that as we, uh, after it's revealed and as we talk about this more. But there are a lot of things that are very true to what this person did and what this person's interests were. Um, I just don't, the, the, uh, the, the aspects of, there are definitely things to be learned about communication for this person, but uh, I, I don't think there's a lot of people who would automatically think of this person as a great communicator, as a great speaker, as a great writer. That's not something that we associate with him. Now, that could be because that's just something that we don't, uh, uh, that isn't highlighted in the history books, that he was this way, but... Uh, uh, that didn't communicate over the ages, or that things got mixed up because we chose the the middle time that you can choose. You, you chose noon as, as that time. I think it is directly related to us choosing noon. I really do. I think that we just have things off kilter because I'm sure that this person was a very uh, known person. And clearly having, you know, um, groups of planets, this many groups of planets together in general, just adds to that, you know, it just puts layers and layers on top of layers. So I feel like in this situation, we do not have the right birth time, because I think if we did have the right birth time, everything would fall into place and it would make more sense. Well, I think uh, maybe at a, at a later date, uh, we'll figure out a way to uh, play around with the birth times and see if we can make a chart that uh, looks a bit more right to us. Um, I do know that the birth date is correct, absolutely. So uh, we mm -hmm. will uh, we'll be able to play around with that at a, at a later time. Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything that you can gather from uh, if you don't look at the times is there anything you can gather about what this person's leadership style might be i think that this person has mars in cancer so and 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 it doesn't matter what house it's in like right now i'm looking at taurus rising putting you know cancer on the third house cusp but um i think that this person would have had luck with leadership this is their okay. you know their north node is in cancer conjunct their their uh jupiter in cancer conjunct their neptune in cancer and then uh conjunct mars now that neptune can make things a little less clear neptune can put a veil over things so it could make this person a little more confused or um less uh, clear on what they're doing, but it's definitely North Node conjunct Jupiter conjunct Neptune conjunct Mars. So this person should have had the ability to go in the direction they wanted to go. Mm -hmm. uh, are there uh, any other uh, insights uh, that you haven't talked about already about uh, this chart? I think that the women in his life would have been really important. I think having mm -hmm. moon conjunct Venus in Sagittarius would make women important to him. Yes. His mother, his sisters, 
his 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 wife uh all all women would have been very they should have been very dear to him unless there was something wrong and something went bad along the way but if you you know you hope for the best but this is uh i mean the, these women would have been very independent not necessarily mm-hmm. super nurturing to him you know He's got okay. all this cancer, but his son is not in cancer. He's got all this stuff opposing his son. He has Mars opposed his son. Now, I don't normally get into aspects like oppositions and squares and things like that. But in this particular situation, this person does have sun by degree, by a five degree orb, opposed his Mars, which means that, um, you know, he's in some sort of conflict between his career and his direction. Uh, mm-hmm. But that oppositions also lend power to that. That also lends energy to that. Oppositions and squares will lend like a kinetic energy to something. So there's that. Okay. Okay, yeah. I think that's uh, very helpful. Um. All right. So I think... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. That we are ready for uh, the summary of our, uh, of, of our reading. And uh, as we've said a couple times before, we, uh, we're guessing a time. So some of these might uh, be uh, a little off. But I think a lot of this, uh, once we find out who it is, uh, are, are very true to who uh, this person was. 
Uh, so, uh, first things uh, to point out with the North Node and everything was that uh, this person was an incredible speaker, a communicator, creative with communicating, uh, very intense with their communications, a possible nurturing aspect to their communications, uh, lessons to be learned with communications, uh, communicate uh, about material things. Uh, either a, a big person or can act like a big person, has a definite presence when they enter a room. Uh, they might be able to talk their way out of trouble. There are lessons with authority. And there are power, there's a power that he gains with his partnerships. Women play a very important role in their life. Uh, inheritance, legacy uh, gained from powerful women, likes independent women, has an appreciation for progressive women, uh, and that there's possibly a loss of uh, powerful women in his life. Uh, legacy is a very large part of this person's life. Uh, political upheaval and new ways of humanitarianism. Uh, he has a good business mind. He's very successful with business, uh, but he wants control. Um, he There's a fire in his emotions, and there is a luck uh, with nearly everything that he does. Uh, a businessman, uh, creative with money, uh, benevolent with money, and maybe has money to party. Uh, he is not insecure. Uh, could claim a space when he entered a room, uh, very adamant about his opinions, very defensive. Um, credit is important to him, attracted to powerful, independent, alluring women. Uh, there's issues with authority, dealing with authority, uh, luck with leadership, uh, but maybe a confusion about that, about uh, leadership. Uh, and uh, there are conflicts in his directions. Is there anything that I left out that you think is important? <laughs> no, I just want to reiterate that we do not know uh, the time of birth and some of these things regarding, um, you know, the Jupiter and the North Node and the um, Neptune and the Mars all in all in in Cancer. You know, Mars is your direction, and no matter what, no matter what house this is in the direction will still be affected by that Neptune and the North Node and the Jupiter. It just won't necessarily be in the, you know, the house of communications. It could be in a different house, but a lot of the basics are here. We've, we've reiterated the basics, which are, you know, even if you pull them all out of the houses, you still have the planets and these, you know, your, your planets are still in these signs. So they, they're going to be significant no matter how you look at it. Uh, just one more question for you. Uh, do you mm -hmm. think this person would be a trustworthy person? This person could go either way. Uh, personally, just looking at their chart, um, I would hope that this person would be trustworthy. I wouldn't, but I don't normally look at the dark side, you know, I mean, Capricorns can go either way, man. They can be <laughs> very manipulative or they can be very fatherly, you know, mm -hmm. they can be super sneaky and, and very criminal. 
like like white collar criminals, you know, or the mm. leader, <laughs> the the, mm-hmm. the leader of the of of the the mob or whatever, you know, they don't want to get their hands dirty. They want other. They okay. want to be in charge of getting other people to do the bad things. So, I mean, the dark side would be that this person could possibly be, you know, a very white collar criminal. But, um, you know, uh, I would hope they weren't. But at the same time, mm-hmm. with all of this cancer opposing all that Capricorn, um, it, it, anything can happen. You know. It's yeah. like the one chart that I was looking at and I was like, well, this could have been a really great, great humanitarian person, but they were a horrible, horrible person. So, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, would you like to know whose chart you've been reading? I'm kind of scared because I feel like I'm totally lost on this one. But yes, I would. You are looking at the astrological birth chart of Benedict Arnold. Oh! <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, Capricorn's going to do what they're going to do for Capricorns. You know what I'm saying? They are going to do what they need to do for them. And that, that is a, that is a very, uh, that would also kind of be a Scorpio trait, but in this, that makes sense. And so I'm really interested to hear your, your, um, the history that you have of Benedict Arnold, because I feel like when you start revealing the history, I'm going to be able to connect more things because I don't really, Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody knows who Benedict Arnold is and what he did, but you know, he's a traitor, but you know, I think that we're going to find more information from you because didn't he start out as a Patriot? I can't remember. Well, in order to be a traitor, yeah, you have to, uh, you you can't start the whole war uh, against the Americans <laughs> and become a traitor. So, yes, uh, for those of you who may not know, uh, Benedict Arnold, uh, I'm not sure what his reputation is, if anyone knows outside of the United States and England who this person is. But in the United States, Benedict Arnold, his name is synonymous with treason. If you call someone a Benedict Arnold, even though this happened uh, over 250 years ago, uh, you, everyone knows today in America, at least that you're calling them a traitor. Uh, so, uh, but Benedict Arnold took a, a very long and arduous path to that decision. Uh, he was one of Washington's most trusted generals. Uh, he was one of the most lauded heroes of the revolution, that is what made his uh, decision such a uh, a betrayal. He wasn't just some lackey on the side. He was the most trusted, uh, one of the greatest generals. And really, there would not be a United States without him. Uh, and then he decided to go against the American cause. That is what the injury was so devastating and why we remember him to this day. So... Uh, Benedict Arnold IV was born January 14, 1741, in Norwich, Connecticut. He was the second of six, uh, born to Benedict Arnold III and Hannah King Arnold. Uh, the Arnolds uh, had, it was a long line, and, uh, and specifically of Benedict Arnolds. Uh, uh, they came to the uh, colonies in uh, the late 1600s, uh, were instrumental in the founding of Rhode Island, 
and each generation always named their firstborn son uh, Benedict Arnold. Uh, had a great reputation in the uh, early colonial North America. Um, Benedict Arnold the Fourth, uh, excuse me, Benedict Arnold the Third. Uh, this is uh, uh, the the father. Uh, he uh, apprenticed to be a cooper, uh, which is a barrel maker, and uh, from that uh, he uh, started getting a. Uh, uh, into the merchant business, and he was a very successful merchant, and he would travel um, all across uh, colonial America, to the Caribbean, to England, uh, getting things uh, for his uh, merchant shop in Norwich, uh, Connecticut. Uh, he would marry uh, the widow of the man that he was working for, uh, so that was uh, Hannah King, and uh, again, the, the Arnolds were well-known in Connecticut. Uh, they were some of the richest. They were some of the most prominent, prestigious families uh, in uh, this town. Uh, they had uh, the first pew at the church. Uh, so every Sunday, they were there, the first pew, the most important spot you could have in the community. And uh, this being... Uh, 1700s New England, uh, very much a Puritan uh, religion, a Calvinist religion. Uh, uh, God uh, has already selected who is going to heaven and who is not, and who is the elect and who is not, and uh, there can be arbitrary decisions about uh, th that God just makes on a whim as to what your fortunes or uh, unfortunes will be, misfortunes will be. Uh, that very much happened in the Arnold household. Uh, there was lots of illness. Um, out of the six children, uh, four of Benedict Arnold's siblings would pass away. Uh, hard times would follow. Uh, Benedict Arnold's uh, dad, uh, so again, that Arnold III, um, he uh, started not caring about the business. Uh, he started spending much more time in the tavern uh, drinking ale uh, than going out uh, on his uh, business trips and getting things for the store. Uh, Benedict Arnold was all set up to have a bright future. He was supposed to have a very uh, intellectual upbringing. Everything was in line for him uh, to attend Yale. And uh, at this time in the mid-1700s, it was a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percentage of people that could go to college for an education. Everything was set up for that, but then once the Arnold business fell on hard times, uh, that future was done away with, and he uh, was then set up to be an apprentice uh, to an apothecary. Uh, one of his mother's cousins uh, ran uh, one of the largest mercantile stores uh, on the Old Post Road that connected uh, New York to Boston. Uh, the father uh, drifted more into alcoholism, and uh, the business continued to falter. The reputation of the family and the community uh, faltered. Um, while all this is going on, uh, the French and Indian War breaks out. And uh, Benedict Arnold very much wants to join in the fight. Uh, he wants to uh, enlist uh, with the militia uh, to fight uh, the French and the Native Americans, uh, allies of the French uh, in North America. Uh, he actually runs away from home twice uh, in order to try and uh, join the forces, but uh, was sent home uh, twice. 
there's then a third time where he is actually accepted and uh, he is all set uh, in, into the militia and uh, he gets a letter saying that his mother has contracted yellow fever. Mm-hmm. He goes uh, absent without leave. Uh, he uh, uh, leaves uh, uh, the military to go uh, to his mother's bedside and is there to uh, see her pass away from yellow fever, make sure that she is buried in the family cemetery. Uh, this just continued the decline of the family. The father spent all the rest of his time in the tavern drinking to excess. Uh, young Benedict Arnold would have to literally carry his father home uh, drunk from the tavern back to their home many times. Uh, the church uh, didn't want them to be in the first pew anymore. In fact, wanted to um, stop giving communion uh, to uh, Benedict Arnold's uh, father. Uh, so the all the reputation of the family had been sullied, and the father would eventually pass away. In uh, 1762, uh, Benedict Arnold uh, became a, a successful merchant in New Haven, Connecticut. And uh, as a merchant, he traveled, like his father, all over the colonies and all over to the Caribbean and to England, uh, getting books and sundries and things to stock his store with. Uh, this being the uh, middle 1760s, we're now past the time of the French and Indian War, and uh, the uh, Great Britain needs to uh, collect revenue for all of the money that they spent protecting the colonies. Uh, so Parliament starts passing uh, taxes uh, on the colonies uh, in order to uh, uh, have the colonies pay their fair share for their protection. Uh, but they did not ask the colonies' consent before doing this, so there are riots, there are protests, uh, no taxation without representation, and this is all about goods. This is all about sugar and tea and molasses and paper and all the things that are Benedict Arnold's livelihood. Uh, so he is very much uh, uh, upset about all of these taxes, about all the things that uh, Great Britain uh, is doing to the colonists, and is very much on the patriot side. Uh, it is affecting his bottom line, but also there's a, a personal belief in all of this. Um, very much a patriot in, uh, in 1770, uh, the uh, Boston Massacre occurs. Uh, so uh, the... Uh, British uh, were occupying Boston, and uh, they fired into a, a group of rioters. They were unarmed, only had uh, uh, oyster shells and rocks and snowballs, and uh, the British troops fired into the crowd and killed several of them. Uh, Benedict Arnold writes a letter talking about uh, what is it going to take for the American colonists to go to war? They need to go to war right now. How how much of an injustice this was that innocent blood was spilled by these occupying British forces. Um, they need to be done away with. We need to fight them now. Uh, so again, very much a patriot. Uh, 1775, uh, this is when the war really breaks out. Uh, Lexington and Concord, the shot heard round the world. Well, that shot was heard in New Haven, Connecticut, and the people in Connecticut, uh, they didn't want to have a war. Uh, I mean, no one really wants to have a war, but they, you know, knowing that it's just a few farmers and merchants and lawyers against the most powerful superpower on the face of the planet, 
this was the odds were not in their favor. Uh, so the people in New Haven, they went to the church and they sat in the church and they prayed. Uh, they prayed for King George to have mercy, for King George to realize the error of his ways and to bring this to a peaceful conclusion. Uh, I was watching one of the documentaries about Benedict Arnold, and they had a very colorful uh, New Yorker uh, talking about uh, uh, this uh, Lexington and Concord and the effect it had in Connecticut. And uh, he was very upset, this New Yorker. He goes, uh, these Connecticut people, they go into the church and, and they're praying. And they're praying for a card-carrying certified wacko. That's who King George was. Now, uh, King George was definitely called the Mad King. Uh, he was uh, very much clinically insane, but uh, a lot of those things would happen more after uh, the revolution itself. But I thought that was very funny that he called King George a wacko. Um, so they're in the church praying. Benedict Arnold, uh, he decides that the, he's a man of action. He's not just going to pray that some arbitrary figure 3,000 miles away is going to solve their problems. He gathers men and he demands to get all of the weapons and powder that are stockpiled in New Haven. Uh, the uh, Connecticut uh, uh, town officials come out and say, no, uh, we need to wait for some authority to tell us that this is okay. We need some authority to say that it's okay for the militia to go out. Benedict Arnold says, I don't have time to wait for some authority. I am going to take it right now. And so he gathers the men and they go uh, to Lexington. They join the thousands of people that are uh, there at Lexington uh, to push the British out. And uh, Benedict Arnold very much uh, starts uh, his way into the American cause. Um, one of his first things is he convinces uh, the Massachusetts militia uh, that they need to launch an attack on Fort Ticonderoga. Uh, Benedict Arnold had been a, a merchant. He had been all over uh, the colonies, and he knew that there was a fort in upstate New York. It was uh, one of the premier forts in the English uh, uh, military. It had tons of stockpiles of armaments and cannons and powder, and that it was very uh, loosely defended. He knew that they could take it. And so he convinced the, uh, mili the Massachusetts militia, and uh, they uh, sent him uh, with men uh, to go take Fort Ticonderoga. Uh, he meets up with Ethan Allen, and uh, Ethan Allen is definitely one of the uh, uh, characters of the American Revolution. Uh, he got all of his uh, uh, Green Mountain Boys together. They were mountain men. They were frontiersmen, uh, not subject to authority. Uh, Benedict Arnold was now, he's a, a commissioned officer in the uh, Massachusetts militia. Uh, so there was lots of infighting between Ethan Allen and Benedict Arnold. Um, but eventually they got uh, through it and they uh, took Fort Ticonderoga. They took the massive cannons, some of the largest cannons on the continental U.S. Uh, and they were now American and the fort was now part of the American rebellion. And it is really hard for us to really get a sense of how much this buoyed the American spirit that a lot of people were looking at this rebellion and thinking, well, this is just, again, a few merchants and farmers against the most powerful superpower in the world. This 
can't happen. They're, they're going to lose. But the fact that they were able to take one of the biggest forts, Fort Ticonderoga, and that Benedict Arnold was the man who got that done, um, this was, he, he, he got a reputation from it. And some people actually started giving him a bad reputation for it. And he's, uh, the people in, at the Second Continental Congress didn't really appreciate his brash, uh, man of action, uh, uh, way of doing things. Um, but, uh, he, uh, Benedict Arnold, he, uh, starts writing to Congress saying that now that we've taken this, the new object should be Canada. Uh, we need to take Canada, make Canada the 14th colony in the United States. Now, for us today, we know Canada is our lovely neighbors to the north, um, that stretch from the uh, Atlantic to Pacific, just like we do. But uh, at this time, Canada really just consisted of two cities and a river. Uh, so it was uh, uh, Montreal and <laughs> Quebec. And uh, so Benedict Arnold says, we need, they don't even know there's a war on. This is vital land that the British could use to launch an attack against us. We need to take it now. And so uh, the Congress agrees but they don't agree that Arnold should be the one leading that attack. And so they send someone else. Arnold goes to George Washington, the commander-in-chief of the Continental Forces. Washington loves Arnold. Washington loves that he's a man of action, that he gets things done. Washington gives Arnold another command and, says, and gives him the same objective. Take men, go and take uh, Quebec. Arnold uh, gets up to Quebec. He leaves with about 1,100 men. Uh, 500 are gone uh, by the time he reaches Canada. 300 desert, and another 200 die on the way up there. Uh, and uh, time is running out for all these men because they're terms of service. They signed up for a year, and that year is coming up. And in fact, it comes up on New Year's Day of 1776. So on December 31st, the last day that they had all of these men is when they launched the attack. And so uh, uh, Benedict Arnold, he achieves his goal. He gets into the lower part of Quebec, but the other forces don't make it past the walls. It's a big fiasco. Uh, there's a firefight that ensues. Benedict Arnold is actually injured. Uh, he gets a musket ball to the leg. Uh, so this was a big fiasco, uh, but again, everyone knew that Benedict Arnold, he, he was not uh, a coward. He was a very brave and brash and bold commander. Um, he stays up in that Northern region, uh, throughout 1776. And, uh, in the fall of 1776, uh, the British, uh, start launching a counterattack into the colonies. Uh, the objective of the British is to cut off New England from the rest of the colonies. They know that most of the patriot fervor is going on in Massachusetts, so if they could cut off New England from the rest of the colonies, quell the rebellion, everything can be settled very uh, fast. Uh, so uh, the major objective is to uh, cut pretty much a line in New York State, or now New York State. Um, and so... Uh, uh, Benedict Arnold spends the whole summer and leading into the fall preparing a fleet, building boats to uh, counterattack the British, who are also building boats who are going to go down Lake Champlain and then try and go down the Hudson. Uh, so he builds the fleet, and then he essentially, he's already a general in the 
Continental Army, but he makes himself a Commodore in the Navy, too, uh, because he just <laughs> takes these boats and uh, and starts the attack and uh, goes through all of these maneuvers and catches the British off guard. But still, it's the British Navy. It's the most powerful Navy on the face of the planet. And uh, they were able to destroy a lot of these American ships. Eventually, it gets to uh, Valcor Island. This is like the last little spot. Uh, if the British were able to push through here, they could take Fort Ticonderoga back and take New York and, and uh, uh, be in a very good position to end the war. Benedict Arnold has lost most of his ships, most of his men. He is on one ship, manning one cannon at the front of the ship. There are five British ships that are circling him. He is there for two hours, fighting with one cannon against five British ships, just loading, firing, loading, firing. The British take damage, but they still have a lot more ships and a lot more men than the Americans do. But when they see this one man manning this one boat and this one cannon and the damage that he can do, the British say that it, we don't have enough men to take... If there's two... What, what damage could two Americans do if this is just one? So they decide <laughs> to turn around and regroup and go up back to Canada. This essentially gave the Americans the breathing room that they needed to resupply, get more men, and uh, continue on the war. If, if Benedict Arnold had not stopped that British invasion, they would have taken Fort Ticonderoga and very likely ended the war. Uh, so this was maybe the second time that Benedict Arnold is directly responsible for the outcome of the American Revolution. The next uh, big thing that Benedict Arnold does uh, is uh, the Battle of Saratoga. So he's, you know, everyone knows about Benedict Arnold, and everyone knows how bold and brash a commander he is. He is Washington's number one guy. He is Washington's favorite general. He is Congress's maybe least favorite general. Uh, he doesn't <clears throat> listen to them. He doesn't listen to politicians. Politicians don't know how to fight a war. He knows how to fight a war. Uh, the, they're just piddling, twiddling, and resolve, you know, like 1776. They're just politicians and bureaucracy, and he doesn't have anybody inside the Congress who is rooting for him. All the, the, the people in the Congress say, well, you lost all of our ships. All those ships got blown up from the British. You're not a very good commander not recognizing or choosing on purpose not to recognize that had he not done what he did the war might be over and all those men would be hanging by now but uh, uh, they uh, pass him up for a promotion uh, essentially because they're playing politics they want to make sure that all of the colonies are equally represented in Washington's generals uh, so we need to make sure that there's a general from Delaware and a general from Pennsylvania and we already have too many generals from Connecticut so they uh, promoted Arnold's subordinates to be uh, over him uh, mm. this was uh, infuriating to Arnold and he decides uh, that uh, he, he wants to resign. He wants to resign from uh, the uh, Continental uh, Army. Uh, he turns in uh, his resignation and two days later, George Washington writes saying, 
the British have invaded again. They've invaded New York. They've taken Fort Ticonderoga. I need Arnold. I need a man of action to fight them off. So he decides that he's not going to, re- that the, the resign, uh, his resignation was uh, not true. And he decides that he's going to reenter the Continental Army. And he goes uh, to Saratoga. Uh, Saratoga is uh, about halfway in between uh, the British objectives. They are coming from the north and the south in upstate New York uh, to try and, again, cut off New England. And uh, the man in charge of the Continental Army at Saratoga is Horatio Gates. Gates is upset that George Washington doesn't like him as much as he likes Benedict Arnold. And he's very <laughs> upset that, uh, uh, you know, he, he wants uh, George Washington to like him and doesn't want Benedict Arnold to be there at all. And Gates is also more defensive uh, from a tactical standpoint. Uh, so there comes a time in the battle uh, where uh, th- there are open spots in the British fleet uh, or, or the, the, the forces. And he decides not to push in on those open spots. He chooses to stand his ground instead. Benedict Arnold says that this is ridiculous. We, we need to take the day. We can possibly do this right now. He takes a third of the men and he starts pushing back the British forces. He comes back to Gates and says, I need all of the forces to follow me. Gates says, uh, you shouldn't have done what you just did. Uh, and in fact, I am uh, pulling you from the field. You have to stay in your camp. He essentially grounds him. <laughs> You're grounded, mister. You're staying back here for the rest of the battle. This further infuriates Benedict Arnold. That They could have taken the battlefield that day. The next day comes, and again, the forces meet, and uh, it is hours of fighting and men being lost on both sides, and there are open spots in the uh, British uh, forces that are not being capitalized on, and Arnold just can't take it anymore. So he gets on his horse, and he starts riding against orders, and he starts leading men, and they start doing charge after charge. Arnold is there in the front with his sword chopping down these British soldiers, and the men are following him. They finally uh, exploit a spot in the British uh, uh, defenses, and uh, the British start retreating. As this happens, it's towards the end of the day, and uh, Benedict Arnold, his horse is shot from under him, and in fact the bullet Mm. enters the same leg that he was injured in in Quebec. Uh, So uh, he had to be carried off the field. Uh, the next, uh, in the next couple of days, the British would end up surrendering uh, that battle. Uh, so, uh, gentleman Johnny Burgoyne uh, surrendered. He surrendered to Horatio Gates. Horatio Gates oh. is known as the hero of Saratoga. Congress, who does not have uh, uh, any materials uh, to themselves, actually makes a medal to give to Horatio Gates. Gates was half a mile back during this whole battle. He was arguing with a a British officer that had been captured about the merits of uh, American independence. While he was doing that, Benedict Arnold was in the front lines winning this battle. The Battle of Saratoga is what convinced the French to join the war. If the French had not joined the war, the United States would have lost. So, by the transitive property 
The United States is a country right now because of Benedict Arnold and what he did at the Battle of Saratoga. And what happened afterwards was that Congress continued to reprimand him for not following Mm -hmm. orders. Had he followed orders, the battle would have been lost. This was not rubbing Arnold the right way. Uh, He uh, (laughs) had now, his leg was completely shattered. It It was torn apart. Uh, The doctors kept coming in. They wanted to take it off. He kept saying to the doctors, if you take that leg off, I will shoot you myself. (laughs) Uh, Eventually, they make some sort of strange wooden box to put this mutilated leg in. And uh, he would have to wear a corrective shoe for the rest of his life because he had lost two to three inches off of that leg. This is the sacrifices that he had given to this cause. And he felt that he was not being properly rewarded for all of these sacrifices. Eventually, George Washington uh, grants him back his uh, superior status in the military order and says, you know, you're not ready for a field command, but I can make you the military uh, governor of Philadelphia. Uh, The British had taken Philadelphia shortly after we declared independence, but with the French coming in, the British had decided to go and concentrate their forces in New York. Washington sends Arnold in to be in charge of Philadelphia, and uh, the people in Philadelphia, both the Patriots and the Tories, the Loyalists, are kind of upset with Arnold because they want to run things themselves. The Patriots are upset because Arnold won't let them hang all the Loyalists. And the Loyalists (laughs) are upset because Benedict Arnold had won all these great victories. While all this is going on, Benedict Arnold is trying to uh, make his way through uh, a Philadelphia society. And uh, he meets uh, a young woman uh, named Peggy Shippen. Uh, Peggy Shippen is uh, 18 years old. Uh, Benedict Arnold is in his 30s, but the two hit it off. Uh, Peggy Shippen is, uh, her story gets very uh, convoluted, but I think today most historians would say that her family were neutralists. They really just didn't want to take a side in the war. Well, that means that to the Patriots, she was a loyalist, and she liked all the British people. Uh, So, uh... Benedict Arnold eventually marries young Peggy Shippen, and Peggy Shippen had connections to British high command. Uh, She had actually been courted uh, by British Major Major John Andre. Uh, So some people say, well, Peggy Shippen uh, seduced Benedict Arnold and got him over to their side and got him to be a traitor, and she was a spy in this ring the whole time. I think now we na- we can recognize that she was probably more of a tool, that Benedict Arnold already had lots of grievances with the Patriot cause, and maybe not so much the cause as the execution of that cause. Uh, that it was all about politics. It was all about these meddling politicians uh, not giving him the credit that he deserved. Uh, And so he was already in his mind thinking that he wanted to really show them. He was going to show them that how important he was, because if he defected, then the whole cause would be over. 
Uh, in fact, even before he marries Peggy Shippen, there is a letter that he writes to George Washington, and he says, I wish you all of the luck in your cause. Not his cause, not our cause. Mm-hmm. He is writing, it's your cause. This is your deal now. I want out. So he starts uh, figuring out what what is he going to do? What is he going to do that is really going to... Uh, you know, stick the the craw into the Congress, and he is. Uh, there's a big uh, uh, fuss that happens in Philadelphia, and they're trying to get him court-martialed. Again, local politicians meddling with Benedict Arnold, and uh, very upset that he married uh, uh, Peggy Shippen. And uh, so George Washington says, "Okay, I'll get you out of Philadelphia. I will put you in command of West Point." Uh, actually, before he offers him West Point, he says, I want to make you my number one guy. I want to make you the second in command of the entire Continental Army. By this point, ben- wow. Benedict Arnold had had enough. He said, I I, 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 I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. Uh, just give me West Point. And so Washington agrees and, and gives Arnold West Point. And West Point is the crucial spot uh, in the American defenses. Uh, There's a reason why our military academy is there today. It was vital to the American defenses. If the British got West Point, they very well could have won the war. And Benedict Arnold decides that he's just going to hand it to him. He's going to hand it to him on a silver platter for about 120,000 pounds of silver and uh, a, a command in their army. And so he makes all of the uh, arrangements with uh, John Andre. And uh, as the story goes, he gives all of the plans, where the weak spots were, uh, uh, how mm. this whole thing was going to happen. And he gives it to John Andre, and Andre sticks it in his boot. And uh, Andre dresses as a civilian, but he gets captured by American forces. They find the documents in his boot. They uh, send copies of letters to Benedict Arnold and to George Washington. The The documents are incriminating. They show that Arnold is the guy. So either Arnold is going to have to try and defend himself, uh, and Washington is eager to hear uh, his defense of this, uh, or Arnold's going to have to run away. Uh, and so Arnold decides to run away, and uh, which proves, you know, by the by his Absence proves that he was a traitor and that he was trying to hand over the most important fort uh, to the British. And uh, he runs away and he joins the British forces. He is given a command, but the British don't trust him because how can you trust a traitor? How can you trust someone who is willing to sell out their own people? So mm-hmm. he did all of this and it, he didn't get what he wanted then either. No one listened to him then either. And uh, he spends the rest of the war trying to get things done with the British military. But by this point, the uh, Americans are winning more battles. The Everything goes to the south and Yorktown happens. The French come in. The war's over. Benedict Arnold spends the rest of his life in England. Uh, he sets up in London. He receives a pension for the rest of his life for his support of the british cause uh he and his wife uh, live there in london but never get accepted by society because he's a traitor uh he's he's someone who will betray his friends uh and so he lives the rest of his life very sad 
and uh, his leg plagues him for the rest of his life. Uh, by the end of his life, I think it's around 1801, uh, he's starting, he knows that the end is near, and uh, he asks that he, uh, that his wife put on his, uh, uh, put his continental uniform on him, uh, saying that, uh, you know, the, this was my true uniform and I should have never betrayed her. Mm. Well, George Washington was so hurt that his his most trusted general, his best general, would go against him, that he ordered that Arnold's name be stricken from all the records. Uh, the Continental mm. Congress passed an act saying that Arnold's name can never be etched in stone or metal. Uh, they actually went to the Arnold Cemetery in Connecticut, and all of the past Benedict Arnold's, their names were scrubbed. Uh, mm. The Eventually, they would put a monument and they would put a monument and it would have arnold's leg on it because that leg had suffered injuries while he was a patriot uh and there is a wooden plaque outside of that monument because the name cannot be etched in stone or metal wood is something that will rot away uh and that and benedict arnold's legacy for uh all the, the the rest of time will be connected to treason and and him being a traitor. That's very sad. That's all very sad and interesting. And I really am looking forward to doing some research into this and seeing if I can't um, figure out what his rising sign would be to get an idea of what houses all these planets would have fallen in. But I mean, again, you know, if you uh, go against your North node, you're working with your South node and he has North node conjunct Mars conjunct Jupiter. If he had just stayed on track, mm -hmm. if he had just stayed on track and not gotten if, so if, caught if, up in his emotions. If he had stayed on track, uh, uh, we would probably have a state named after him. Mm -hmm. Cities, yes. streets, monuments all over this continent to him. People mm -hmm. would name their children Benedict Arnold for generations. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, he, I don't think he would have wanted anything to do with politics, but he very well could have been Washington's uh, Secretary of War, the first Secretary of War for the nation. Uh, uh, so much could have happened had he not let his ego drive him. I mean, I understand, mm -hmm. you know, not getting your due credit, but mm -hmm. the action that you then take of of betrayal to the cause, it is, uh, uh, it's very sad. It's very, very sad to think about this person who was willing to give everything and then get so wrapped up in the politics of it that they literally are willing to sign over a country mm -hmm. that is trying to emerge in a revolution that's just uh very sad okay. that's 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 very very sad and um i i mean this like you said he could have been a really really legacied hero to the United States, and instead he will forever be known as a traitor. 
That's sad. Well, is there uh, anything else in the uh, chart that makes more sense now that you know who it is? Well, it's really interesting because when you follow your north node, you are following the direction that you're supposed to go, right? And so in this situation, following his north node would have taken him to his goals. Yes, it would have been a creative way to do it, but he would have had luck on his side. But if instead he followed his south node, which the south node is the opposite of the north node and having north node in Cancer, which is nurturing and having south node in Capricorn, which could be very manipulative. Um, it seems like he chose to follow his south node and maybe he was trying to follow his north node for a while, but his ego got the best of him and he just couldn't do it anymore. I mean, if we switch these planets around a little bit, I mean, he seems very fiery, you know, and he could have uh, a fire sign rising. He could have Aries or Sagittarius or Leo rising. If he had, say, for instance, Leo rising, that would put his Saturn in Leo in the first house, which would really be weird because it would be lessons with the image, lessons with how people perceive you. You know yeah. what I mean? So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. And I think that we have at least two or three now that we don't have the exact date of birth on them that we need to go back and research. And maybe we'll do that um in some side episodes mm -hmm. or something to i mean these things do deserve having some research done and you and i can play around with the charts and and see what it looks like when we move the rising sign and the ascendant so that we can see how these planets fall in other houses yes absolutely mm -hmm. well uh on our scale of uh right on the money to way out in outer space there are a lot of aspects of this chart right on the money. I mean, the stuff about business, he was very successful with business, and that uh, played a large role uh, in his life. Uh, lessons with authority, um, luck, um, the, all of these things played out. There are a few things that uh, maybe didn't play out so much. Um, so, you know, maybe put it in the middle, but I, I think that uh, at a later date, we can play around with it and get a chart uh, that makes more sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, he was clearly a fascinating man. And it's just unfortunate that, you know, he, he made some very, very wrong choices, which, you know, people throughout history mm -hmm. do. And they're in history to show us not to do mm -hmm. that. Well, that concludes this episode of History in Retrograde. I uh, hope that you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, uh, please uh, like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, tell your friends. Uh, and uh, we are available uh, on socials, on Facebook uh, uh, at History in Retrograde, uh, on Instagram at Retrograde Podcast. Uh, you can reach out to us on uh, email, uh, historyandretrograde at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, as always in closing, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you enjoy all of our podcasts and tell your friends. Yes, please. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.